we don't, I don't understand how anything works. It's all weird magic. Yeah, what, not wild magic, but like, uh, is there a good pun for wild, but computers? I don't know anything about computer. Wired? Wired oh, magic! Not, that's good, that's good. <gasps> not, not great. <laughs> Pretty good. podcast where we reread more Pierce books and yell about them and talk about them. Um, this week we are doing our second to last uh, Immortals Quartet book. It's The Realm of the Gods. We're doing our first episode on The Realm of the Gods and we're getting ready to say goodbye to Dane um, and I'm really sad. I'll miss you, Dane. Doesn't she come back and Kel? Well, say goodbye for now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's less back. I don't know. She's less important. I'll miss her. Anyway, uh, my name is Kelly, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'll be your host this evening. And I thought today that we could um, introduce what color dragon we would want to be if we were a dragon. And I guess I'll go first. I think I want to be, like, turquoise and, like, jade green with, like, some gold flecks. That's, oh, that's, that's pretty. the dragon I want to be. Beautiful. Um, I'm Amy. My pronouns are she, her. If I were a dragon, I would want to be an opalescent gray with hints of rose. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Very pretty. Uh, I'm Grace, and I use she, her pronouns. And if I were a dragon, I would want to be like a light pink and shiny. Mm. Like pearlescent. I think they described one as pearly. I want that. Uh, I'm Gus, and my pronouns are they, them, and um, I did approximately 20 seconds of thinking about what kind of a dragon that I would be, or what color dragon I would be, um, just now, because I forgot, and I would want to be uh, pink and cartoon, like Cassie from Dragon Tales. Oh, so The cute. chubbiest oh, dragon. I really... I love her. Did you tweet about that, Gus? I really liked your tweet about that. I also think Kitten is like Cassie from Dragon Just really round and really cartoonish and always like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I loved Dragon Tales. To our song, which is what this book's about. (gasps) Dragonlands, Dragonlands, let's all go to Dragonlands. Let's all go to Dragonlands. Let's all go to Dragonlands. So cute. I think my favorite part of that is that it was just an actual line from that actual song replacing all the other words in that actual song. (laughs) Also, I could tell that it just really came from your heart, and I appreciate that. I love Dragon Tales. I'm so sorry for bringing this up. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy. (laughs) Thank you. No, thank you. That's the perfect segue into the song that I was planning. So this is amazing. You're Cass- the one who brought up. Dra- well, well, I was gonna do it slightly later. I had it. I had a spot. So this was a better spot. I'm glad. Also, Cassie's my favorite dragon. She's in Dragon Tales. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite dragon in Dragon Tales, baby? 
Welcome to Dragon Tail Pod, a podcast where I thought we were going to talk about the book I read, but now it's just Dragon Tail. Just kidding, it's Dragon Tail. <laughs> okay. There's nothing on TPT that wasn't formative for me as a child, so <laughs> I'd talk about any of it. Sagwa the... Oh, Sagwa! I could get straight into that, don't even worry. I know a theme song for that, too. Mm, so good. I'm not even the one who read these books, and I'm trying to make <laughs> us talk about them. Okay, let's talk about... We're moving into our segment called First Adventure, which is about a background with the book, not about our background with Dragon Tales. <laughs> Sadly. Um, I don't even want to be on the podcast. Oh. It's not going to be about Dragon Tales. Uh, we, we'll just, I'll just throw in a Dragon Tales reference every five minutes. Well, then turn on the timer. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm looking at my watch. I don't remember anything about Dragon Tales except that it was awesome, so it's going to be hard for me. Okay, so my background with this book. Hi, I'm Amy. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't read these books. I did watch Dragon Tales when I was six. That's so all. That was basically a preparation for these books. <laughs> the same thing. Yep. I knew some. I knew about these books from my friends talking about them and complaining about, uh, not complaining about, but justly criticizing at least one event that occurs in them. That's all. Um, I was trying to remember what I remembered from this book, uh, and I, I believe my list was they go to the realm of the gods, which is a thing I know from the title, um, and there are little like ink blob things, which I knew from the cover of the book. And there are dragons, which I also know from my cover of the book. <laughs> and also, I was pretty sure that the like you know the big um, romance thing happened in this book too. That's that's that was my list. Um, I've discovered over the course of making this podcast that though I think of myself as someone who rereads things a lot, I've probably not reread most of these books ever up until now. You know, with with a few notable exceptions, like the ones I really love. Um, but yeah, I've read this maybe yeah. once and apparently forgotten everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I remember this book as one of a couple books that were on my list of book of like where I thought that I was like maybe too young to understand the plot or possibly too dumb to understand the plot and that I would just get it when I was like older slash smarter. Um, yeah, I remember this book as not understanding the plot and feeling like that was on me. And now adult Grace, I would like to travel back in time and validate young Grace and be like, no, <laughs> not on you. Yeah. Um. I read this book, like all the other Dane books, when I was pretty young, and then reread it pretty often. I do believe that it was, in fact, my favorite Dane book. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Which is attested to by the super beaten up copy that I have. I thought the romance was really romantic as a 10-year-old, which we will unpack in the future. I also really like magic books, and I feel like this is perhaps... The most magic of <laughs> Thank you for taking my pen away that I'm about to click through the whole episode, Amy. I'm sorry. This was perhaps the most magic of the magic books because she went to Magic Land. So that was pretty <laughs> exciting for me. Um, and today, no, yesterday was the first day that I realized that dragon la- the dragon lands that she goes to are like dragon land and <laughs> dragon tales. So <laughs> that's good. Um, let's move into first test where we do um a brief plot summary does a challenge so hercules 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not volunteering, but I would like to say that my assessment of the plot of this book is that it's like a fever <laughs> dream that is part of a Shakespeare play. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh no, I think that it actually does have, like, a lot of qualities of a Greek epic about being a demigod who travels to the land of the gods. I like that analysis. They're like a series of trials, but, like, they're very packed together. Yeah, they're packed together. She's and literally a demigod. Yeah, yeah, and everything kind of follows one after the other, and at the end she has to decide whether to live in the realm of the gods mm-hmm. or return to the mortal realm, because you can't do both. Yeah, I like, kind of, <clears throat> I, like, broke it down into three discrete parts. Like, one... First part, like, classic hero's journey. I'm going to go on this journey to this place. There are going to be trials. I'm going to arrive at a gate that people don't let me through that I'm going to get through. Mm. Second one, final battle. Time to have the final battle with Ozorn. Oh, <laughs> I still can't remember how to say his name. Um, and then, like, third one, like, final choice time. Time to decide if I'm going to be immortal or not. And then you decide not to specifically because of romantic love. Of course. And also all her friends. <clears throat> and also animal friends yeah. and human friends. But yeah, mostly but that's a pretty classic like hero's journey like end arc mm-hmm. type thing. But it's like a lot of different elements, and I don't think you always <laughs> see them all, together. Put them all together. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that was not a summary of the book. I mean, really, it basically but... was okay. It kind of Dane, it, it was Dane. Yeah, Dane. Let's see what what's happening. Dane and Numair are doing some sort. Of, I don't remember what they're doing. They meet some. So like, Dane and Numair were following the skin, which are terrifying. To to stop them from skinning. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Like, terrifying. I started reading this book and I was like, "What skin? is going on?" The first like two chapters of this book are just all body horror, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's awful. There are creatures who just want everything skin, but they don't even do anything with the skin. They just absorb it. Yeah. Oh no, Amy! They don't even do anything with the skin. It's the most upsetting thing in the world. We could be playing with them. I just feel like if you're going to do something horrific, it should have a purpose—a clear purpose. <laughs> Dane and Numer are trying to kill some monsters. They get saved by Dane's parents, who are gods, by who are who pull them into the god realms because it's midsummer. So, and they're only minor gods, so they can do that on midsummer. Um, but then they have to take a few days to recover and they can't go back right away. They can't be sent back right away because they're, you know, Dane's parents are only minor gods. She meets some cool other gods like a platypus, a fantasy platypus, which is great. We all love, what's, what's the platypus called? A duck broadfoot. mole? No, oh, I meant the oh, species, but yeah, broadfoot, the duck, duck mole. mole. Um, broadfoot, the duck mole. I love They have to go find the dragons so the dragons can take them back to the mortal realm because there's war going on with Karthak. Karthak? Specifically? A bunch Karthak of people. And, also, and a bunch of allies. Yeah, a bunch of people. But it's not, it's not normal Karthak, it's like Karthaki rebels. Yeah. Because remember, she's friends with um, Kadar right. now. It's not Kadar, it's other mm-hmm. people. Anyways, so K- Tortal's at war. They want to get back there. They have to go find the dragons. To do that, they have to like get through a series of obstacles. Um, On the way... Dane and Numera do some kissing, which we're not going to talk about until next episode. Just saying that right up front, folks. Um, And who wants to summarize it from there? The dragons take them home. They do some (laughs) final battle. I was really, I was being so impressed. I understandable that you would run out of steam. It's a big task. They get to Dragonland. Dragon politics? Yeah, there was some dragon politics. There's a dragon town hall. There's a dragon town hall. (laughs) Dragons are really cool. The dragon's like, okay, we'll take you back. That takes them about two seconds. (laughs) And they get back. Um, Then it's like final wartime. It's time to see all Dane's friends again and remember that they exist. And then it's time for them to fight all their final battles. 
And they fight their final battles, and at the end, Dane, Dane goes, kills Ozorn. And then she accidentally, by killing him, this whole time there's been a war between the gods and the chaos goddess, and, or the leader of the realm of chaos. I suppose she's not necessarily just a normal goddess, because she, like, controls that entire realm. But when she kills Ozorn, she takes a stone off his neck and smashes it, and then the goddess comes out of that stone, tries to grab her, and then, because it's illegal for her to be messing with people on Earth, the, like, two greatest gods, like, uh... Mother- no, it's, uh, Father Universe and Mother oh, Flame yeah. show up, and they're, like, Ursoy, whatever her name is, don't mess with mortals, and Mithras was like, I told you she was messing with mortals. Then they put her <laughs> in god timeout for a couple millennia, and then Dane has to go before all the gods, and they're like, Dane, you must choose whether you want to be a demigoddess in Godland, or you want to be immortal, and she's like, okay, I choose mortal. And then she goes back to Earth. And then she and Amir kiss some more at the end. <laughs> yeah. I'll, so one thing that like threw me off about the plot is that in the beginning, there's a point <clears throat> where someone's like, there's actually a prophecy that chaos will come to Earth and then Earth no. and gods will both be destroyed. And no, she came to Earth and then she just got sent to spectral timeout. Well, yeah. I mean, Earth and gods were not There's destroyed. something to be said for prophecies that don't get fulfilled. You know, it's still a prophecy even if it doesn't get fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's good to have the prophecy. But it's just, I just like sort of... Yeah, a... no. You expect something to yeah. happen with that. Mm-hmm. And the idea over, like, overarching the whole book is that the war going on with Tortle versus the Karthaki rebels, basically Ozern's people and their allies, is like a proxy war for gods versus chaos, sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And, well, loosely. Yeah, there's, <laughs> well, there's many a foe, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into when we talk about world building. Oh, many a foe. And on that note, uh, let us just transition right into Run the Dominion Jewels, where we will talk about plot and world building. And as Gus said before, we are not going to talk about Day Next Numera in this episode, because we have a lot to say, so we're just going to save that for the next episode. So don't worry, we will get there. Mm-hmm. Not now. We're all going to work through this together, with yelling! <laughs> <laughs> Our number one coping mechanism. <laughs> just perfect. yelling. So preserve your yell energy for next time. I'm sure we'll get some yells in. Oh, um, we always do. We always do. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about in uh, world building and plot was just some Tamora Pierce writing stuff. Um, mm. The one thing I noticed that she did in this book, which I didn't notice so much in other books, but I felt like she kept doing in this book, was sort of dredging up things that I thought had been previously resolved and making Day live mm. through them again. Like, for instance, when... Um, when Dane is standing in front of the gods and the gods say, oh, maybe we should banish some immortals back to the realm of the gods. And they're, they're like, we should banish Stormwings back. And Dane's like, yeah, banish Stormwings back. They're evil. And then she has to go through this whole thing again where she's like, wait, maybe they're not all evil. And didn't she kind of do that in like the second book? And then also again in the third book? Like, right. is she over that? And like literally maybe... I want to say 10 to 15 pages before that line when she was like, oh, Rickash, oh no, he died. She hadn't realized she cared for him. And that doesn't make you go like, I guess not all Stormwings are evil. Like, that was a a very mocking portrayal of what I honestly found to be a very touching moment. But I'm just saying, that didn't stick with her. Well, I do think that there is something to be said for portraying someone unlearning their prejudices. In this way, it's just like very much, it's like a little bit too back and forth, but I think that it 
is interesting to portray that Dane still has these gut reactions mm-hmm. that she finds it really difficult to dispel, even when, for example, Rikash, she'll think, this guy's my friend. She has one Stormwing friend, right? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like Amy, I think, was saying, like, and she sort of does the same thing with Rikash, where she's like, he's my friend. I can't believe he's my friend. He's my friend. Like, she goes back and forth, like, every other scene. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know. I find that interesting, but I don't think it's, like, the best way to show someone unlearning their prejudices because it is so scattered, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, like, point, it doesn't really point to itself as unlearning prejudices. It points to itself as, Dane's still a Stormwing racist. So. Yeah. I I guess that would be my main point with it is that it doesn't seem that deliberately done although maybe i'm just not seeing other parts of it but uh, to be charitable i don't know yeah well i don't think that i don't know if it was intentional but i think it's interesting to discuss it in that way right i think so too um yeah my other Tamara Pierce writing thing that I honestly think was part of why this was sort of an impenetrable book for me as a kid uh was that Suddenly, this writing has this, like, whole backstage of all these myths that Mm. Dane knows and we don't know, which sometimes can be done in a way that makes the world feel really rich. And I think there are books that do a brilliant job with that. Personally, I don't think this is one of them for me. In particular, there was, like, one part near the end where I was really (laughs) noticing it, where she's like, and the world snake was there. The first one made by the father flame and the mother goddess. And I was like, I'm sorry, the what snake from who and where? Like, we've never heard of these big, important gods. Yes, we have. Um, Yeah. The world world snake. snake? The world snake is the... the But... You're do right. I know oh, about the world snake? You do, yeah. Okay. From Emperor Mage. Um, she was the goddess who created um, the... What was... what? No, I, I think sh- I think the world snake is the sibling of the goddess who gave birth mm, to okay. the Avengers. Oh, okay. okay. Now that sounds familiar, but see, I just didn't remember that. And It was only... It was very right. brief. And then it just creates this feeling for me of being sort of like overwhelmed and feeling like there's going to be mm-hmm. things that like that that I am am I supposed to know them am I not supposed to remember them mm-hmm. like yeah. to me it doesn't create a feeling of the universe being richer or the world being richer it creates a feeling of like me being sort of lost yeah. um and I thought mm-hmm. that I would not have that as an adult reader but I still kind of do and maybe that's just a personal preference too on that note I think that another thing that Tamara Pierce does again in this book is bringing in events that happened off screen, but like mm-hmm. they definitely happened and were important. Mm-hmm. And, but I just mm-hmm. didn't write about them before. For example, um, trying to like, trying to introduce Dane as a like adult woman who's had romantic relationships by being like, Oh, she totally kissed a guy. You didn't <laughs> yeah. see it. And you weren't her friend there. guy. Yeah. Her <laughs> friend who we've never talked about before. And this happened off stage, but like, it happened. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, this is me. This is just just to be clear. I'm being facetious, <laughs> um, but also it was never specified that the person who she kissed was a guy. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's it said an she had point. been kissed before, and it, then it like named no, somebody. Didn't anyway? Didn't the person get named again later as like? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe her. I, I, it's like the clerk that may have and happened. He, 
Yeah. There's a name. Because he was brought up at okay, the beginning and towards the end. <laughs> yeah. Just to be like, I realized I never mentioned this, so now I'll mention it twice. Yeah, just in case you were worried <sighs> about anything. It's a real part of Dane's life and world, guys. <laughs> What's more Pierce? Um, I was going to go off of what Amy was saying and just say um, that something with how these books are structured is that it's about one book happens every year and there's like a whole year of stuff happening between them, um, specifically the Dane books. So like the other books have done this where they've like been like, you know, in the past year, she and Numer had learned that Stormwings hate onions yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and other completely absurd things. So this isn't unprecedented. It's just also that like, you know, some of it is more relevant to stuff that we would maybe want more credibility you know like we want to be able to believe it more or you know like we don't find it as um it's something that is fairly important to how we read the book i would agree mm-hmm. oh tomorrow pierce yeah but i do think the writing in these books has greatly improved over the course of reading them so yeah i'm like i'm pretty excited to watch this journey happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> The writing is really, it's, like, evocative. The imaging is, like, the images are really strong. I love the first chapter. Like, I really love the first chapter. I love just us setting the scene by bringing in a bunch of different characters and what they're doing at a given moment. Yeah, that was really nice. mm -hmm. Yeah. It was pretty well done. I liked it as a device. And it felt very, like, mythical, which I think is kind of the mood throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool that she was able to pivot and go to almost like a genre that the rest of the books haven't been in, but it still feels really authentic. The characters feel authentic and the setting doesn't throw that off. Um, And it makes the setting feel a lot better to read that we aren't trying to stay in the same sort of typical fantasy fantasy genre. We really like pivot into like mythical fantasy. Um, I'm really impressed that that works so well. I also just really love that the first chapter shows that she has found the way to use the switching perspective device that she has been uh, <laughs> kind of throwing around. <laughs> working and working on it. Yeah. Yeah. And this works really well and I'm really excited about it. Well, let us continue talking about the gods, but move more into talking about gods and world building. I know I remember I personally have been uh, asking a lot of questions about gods that have been um, answered in this (laughs) book, so I guess I just kind of forgot a lot of things. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I know know we've kind of talked about, like, gods, Hercules is this book. I feel like one thing that Amy and I talked about a little bit um, in the post-reading excitement was this sort of being, like, similar to, I think, I don't remember mythology, I, like, I'm not very good with classics, but it's sort of being similar to, like, gods and titans as well, where they have this, like, other godly force they're, like, battling against and trying to, like, keep underground or somewhere else away. Yeah, I'm actually super into it, although I do, so I know that I often bring up, like, what's the laws here? But the realm (laughs) of the gods is, uh, pretty weird (laughs) in that way because there is like it is specifically pointed out that Wyron who is surprise that's Dane's dad (laughs) I know that I know that we're all shocked that the horned man (laughs) is actually from the dreams who hangs out with her mom in her dreams is actually Dane's dad no way but 
he is. Anyway, but wait, back up. I didn't catch that when I was reading, so we're gonna have to discuss it for like twenty more minutes. Okay, um, we're, there's gonna be a cut here while we explain to Grace who Dane's dad is. Um, let me grab my diagram. So that's okay, why. we're back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back. Grace, are you are you following? Are you caught up? Yeah, I was so shocked by that reveal, so I just really needed you guys to walk me through. Yeah, luckily I was shocked too, so I made a PowerPoint and everything. Um, maybe I'll share it at some point. Anyway. Oh, good. Um, anyway, but so we're talking to Wyron, who's the god of the hunt, and he is killing the other gods, but it's fine because they're reborn <laughs> in other bodies, and that's fine, and no one worries about it. That's just okay. It's so weird. Like, I feel like that's not, that shouldn't be okay, right? Like yeah. The gods do a lot of things where I feel like if they thought about it for five minutes, they would have come to a different conclusion about the things that they do. But they're, they're, they're disinterested, right? Like, that's the whole thing we talked about in Emperor Mage at the end. Um, sort of, I think of sort of our slavery discussion where we asked, like, why if the gods are supposed to be sort of, like, potentially, like, compassionate rulers? Are they letting bad things happen? The answer is revealed in this book, and it's that they kind of gaff about a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that is that a thing that people say out loud and, like, can parse? Sorry, that took me a second. They don't care about a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, um, I might be the only person who says gaff out loud like that. I don't we can't know. explain oh, it without swearing, so. Oh, like, okay. All right. Yeah. Anyways, the the gods don't care about a lot of stuff. There, I said the sentence so that the (laughs) editors can fix it for us. Yeah. um, Right. um, Maybe we should just put in a new word. Um, I don't give a... Uh, McFlurry. That doesn't start with an F, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, why are we advertising for McDonald's? I don't know. Except for Dragon Tails. Dragon Tails. Is there a thing in Dragon Tails that starts with F? Friendship. (laughs) I don't give a friend. I don't give a friend. Well, anyway, I think the gods just don't give a friend about what happens to mortals. Maybe they don't give a friend about what happens to other gods. Also, I guess... They don't really, like, who controls that that has happened? That must be, like, Father Universe and Mother Flame, right? Who thought that that was a good rule? (laughs) Right. I mean, I kind of thought about it as the idea idea that the gods' general attitude is just so different Mm -hmm. from the way that people think about things. That they don't approach things as, um, like, they don't really care about human affairs. And also, in the way that they run their own lives, they're not gonna be bothered by technicalities you know they're like very big picture if that makes sense that's the way that i was well it it would alter your worldview quite a Mm -hmm. bit if you and everybody who you lived with was instantly reincarnated as soon as you know as soon as you were killed right (laughs) right like you could not experience death (laughs) but you're starting from scratch every time that you're reincarnated what if you've been working out my goodness, we reincarnate buff also. <laughs> you can't be a buff they did, They're not reincarnating as babies. They're reincarnating as adults. Like when that fish got eaten and then it reincarnated as an adult fish. Not we like didn't little, see the adult but fish. But it splashed him. A tiny baby fish would not be able to splash a splash. Okay, so they don't go through an egg thing. They just get... So basically it's just teleportation. If you kill something, it teleports. Yeah, I think. Like, but then why even hunt? Like, yeah, what's the point? They it doesn't he's really the god seem of the like hunt. They need to eat. It's it's okay, sure. 
Okay. It's it's a human concept in a in an immortal form. So it still has to do the concept, <laughs> even if it doesn't have the same consequences as it would for humans. They just lead incredibly right. pointless lives doing these things that humans have decided that they do. Yeah. Yeah. This was another part where I felt like there was a lot of things that just would come into the writing as like this huge piece of knowledge and I would be like wait was I supposed to know that whatever yeah. but all these rules about what happens in the divine realms where it's like oh yeah well you know minor goddesses can't actually leave for a year mm-hmm. and you're like oh was that in the contract I didn't read the fine print like <laughs> how was I supposed to know that yeah, like, I think yeah, that's just like... an exposition style that sometimes works better than yeah. other times yeah, like, but I felt like every time that there would be like sort of a plot technicality, <laughs> it was just like, oh, that's actually a rule here. It's just a realm of the gods rule. Maybe you just didn't know it because you're just immortal. But um, it's definitely yeah, they're yeah. just making stuff up to placate Dane every time she gets upset. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Dane. That's just how we do it here. <laughs> Wait, yeah. yeah, I'll, yeah, sure. That sounds right. Um, I guess one thing that kind of got addressed that I know I've asked about before was sort of how the realms of the gods and gods sort of link up to the physical realm. Mm -hmm. And I guess this sort of relates to gods being eaten and reappearing. I was thinking, like, there's not a single, like, mouse god, right? Or, like, a single fish god. Like, they encounter these... No, I think there is. But they're encountering these gods, like, in multiple places, like, across their journey, across the realms. I guess. I read it as, like... Different kinds of fish. Yeah, I agree. I I thought that there was this was actually bothering me too because I don't like the idea that you would go and there would just be one of each animal. But there are so human. many human gods. And like, like if there are so many human gods, why wouldn't there be an assortment of fish gods who are gods of different fish stuff? I think also Amy and I I think we interpreted it sort of similarly, which is the gods have like a very strong place attachment and maybe for the animal gods as well. Mm-hmm. Like just like Wyrn and Sarah are like the gods of what they're for, but for their specific place, like mm-hmm. maybe there's a set of mouse gods also for that specific geographic location, and then another set of mouse gods for another geographic location, I would, which I really love. Yeah, I'd buy that. But Broadfoot is the duckmole god. There's not a second duckmole god. Like, how many duckmoles do you think there really are in this realm? <laughs> but that's something that I've been wondering too, because like they keep talking about like there's a whole like first pack of wolves, so there's like a major like wolf god and wolf goddess but then there are also there's their pack that exists in the divine realms as well i also just like the idea of like animals forming communities in the way that humans do and gods being actually like manifesting because of those communities rather than communities or being manifested by gods right i really like this idea i just I like want you to talk more about it like what are the different fish gods and like <laughs> Well, like God of Splashing, God of Splashing, <laughs> God of God of Bad, God of Bad, Bad Everything. I don't like fish. Talk <laughs> <laughs> about frogs. Talk about frogs. Okay, God of Hops. Mm-hmm. Um, God of Leaps. God of Going Ribbit. God of Sitting on a Lily Pad. Which, like, there's only one of those. It is very rare to see a frog sitting on a lily pad, but if you do, you are blessed. (gasps) First lily pad frog. (laughs) Are there lily pad gods? Like, are there plant gods? There's a tree god. Remember the first tree Wait, there are so many plants in the realm of the gods. Are all of the plants gods? 
I think. Yeah, everything in the realm of gods is the god. That's what I was wondering I about, too, because they were talking about, like, Wyron was warning, warning them, like, if you're going to take fruit, like, ask the plant first. Blackberries have a particularly nasty streak, suggesting there are multiple blackberry bushes spread across the realm. You and that's use... when I was like, there must be multiple gods of the same species in different places. When you eat a blackberry pie, you're eating, like, 200 gods. Oh, my God. <laughs> we might have to table this and uh, ask our listeners for theories. Yeah, yeah, give us your theories. Anyway, I thought I thought it was super cool and it definitely super confusing is. also. I so. think we could keep talking right. about it forever, which is why we should probably cut it off here. I, and move on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hesitate to say there's not an explicit answer in the text because there might be one in a different book, and I'm sure our listeners know if there is. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of room for different he- theories at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Would love to hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was super cool on a sort of related note, and then I promise I'll stop with the gods. But that sort of, like, the gods from different human cultures, all those human gods, like, coexisted together in the same place and talked to each other. And I super liked that. Mm-hmm. I really like that, like, reinterpretation of the idea of, like, a pantheon of gods, mm-hmm. but instead it's, like, all the different gods. Yeah, it's like really a cool. united nation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, um, do you guys just want to talk for just a hot second about dragons again? <laughs> I love dragons. <laughs> is it going to be about dragon tales? It's tales, not gonna or is it going to be about dragon tales, I okay. promise. Okay, except Ancestor Rainbow is totally that old dragon and dragon tale. Imagine, I like to imagine uh, the rainbow dragon is Drapa, which is a Pokemon from the seventh generation. And uh, <laughs> Kelly did not like the image I did not of Drapa. Like that. Kelly dislike, disliked. Dislike, dislike, dislike. But it's my canon and you can't take it from me. I won't, but it is not my canon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you guys have favorite dragon things? Or I just, like, needed a moment to just talk about how much I love the dragons and how much I love them. <laughs> they just did a town They're hall great. to talk about the two people who showed up. And they take forever to decide on anything. <laughs> just yeah. like a real town hall. Just like a re- real town hall, but taking place over centuries. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because their lifespans are so long. I loved the moment where they're like, oh, a king? That must be so annoying. They die all the time. <laughs> I'm so, so sassy. I love it. I'm so curious about their love. And they talked about how they decided who was going to, like, how Ancestor Rainbow was going to make the first, like, the decisions for them. I'm so curious. I want more. To more appearance, I want more. New all dragon book. Dragon book. Oh my god, I would read the heck out of that book. The Scales of Justice. <laughs> it's a courtroom drama with dragons. Oh <laughs> Dealing with dragon-related legislature. Oh, God. <laughs> also, I'm super into the. Um, I'm super into the fact that the dragons are just as powerful as the gods, and totally hate them, and they just argue with each other all the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah like there's a neighbor across the street who like every once in a while you'll be on the front lawn and look over and just kind of be like no one actually likes your lemon squares Kevin (laughs) yeah and also that they're all like a really over involved family and they're all like oh well he's not really my cousin really he's like my you know second cousin twice removed but Uh, it's so good I just like uh, I really one thing that I wish had happened is I want Taka to be in this dragon scene Taka in my memory he was but he didn't come did he Mm -mm. I thought he did I wish that he did 
It would have made everything go a lot faster, probably, because having another lizard around probably would have been uh, Grease helpful. Grease those wheels. Yeah. Other Good than... ambassador. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I do just want to know how Takawa communicate with these people, these dragon people. Yeah. Also, oh, this reminded me of something that I probably should have mentioned in plot, but the thing that really got to me right when at the beginning when they said they were going to travel to Dragonland, so it's still related because it's still about dragons, um... <laughs> Why did they not find a better way to do this? Like, why didn't they say, Stormwings, can you just have a nice fly over to Dragonlands and ask the dragons for us and the dragons can come get us? Because that seems like it would have been a lot faster or anything. Or, like, one of the gods could have come and, like, gone and asked the dragons because those dragons move pretty fast. Um, I think just to uh, preserve the classic, like, travel through the the desert and land of many obstacles plot structure. I also feel like the dragons would not have appreciated that, like, working through a conduit. Like, yeah. the dragons seem like they really value face-to-face uh, com- conversing. And Yeah. Yeah. So, I wonder if, like, I don't know if that would have worked. I don't know if they would have agreed to do that, especially because most of the reason why they were favorable to Dane at all is because they were like, oh yeah, that's the guy who's raising our cousin. <laughs> or, so. Yeah. Anyway, okay, dragons. Okay, I'm, I've calmed down a little bit about the dragons, but I, I still love them. So I know at least at one point in this book, Dane asks, I think, Rikash how stormings were created, and Rikash says, well, they, immortals are dreamed by people. They're things that people come up with, and he goes on to explain how a woman dreamed of a stormwing. Yeah. So that kind of answers that question. So, but then I feel like Tomorphus is also a bit confusing, and sometimes she sort of seems to insinuate that the gods also have something to do with creating immortals. Well, I have an interpretation for this, if you don't mind me jumping in. Please do. Um, but the interpretation that I had is uh, the dream god, Gailin? Gainal? 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 Gar, Gar, I don't like any of that. That's awesome. Ganel. <laughs> oh, I like Ganel. Ganel is good. Ganelle. Okay, so our buddy Ganel, who Ganelle. lives, who is a god and the god of <laughs> dreams, it's been said early on that he man, like he manifests creations from people's dreams. Like it's insinuated that that's what the the gods thought the darkings were at first. So it's possible that the god of dreams specifically unintentionally manifests immortals and then like the it's the gods jobs to be like okay so can we let these guys out like can we let these creations out or like what mm-hmm. um that kind of makes sense i mean a big question that came up for me a lot in this book is like there's so the same as you were saying there's so many different foes there's so much different lore that it just leads to more and more questions <laughs> like when they're talking about the three what do they call them? It's like starvation, malady, oh, and uh, uh, slaughter. Ooh. The three. Yeah, starvation, malady, and slaughter, I think. Sorrows. The sorrows. three sorrows. sorrows. The three sorrows, and they have to go back in their kennels, and it's like, yeah, who made the three sorrows? <laughs> also, they really did... map on to um, like pestilence, yeah. uh, right. war, and famine, so. Where's death? Right, but renamed. Right. Can't use those. Um <laughs> copyrighted (laughs) (laughs) but like the the three sorrows who made the three sorrows who generally is taking care of that you know like that could be the like like 
big bad war all by itself, but instead we additionally have the immortals, and then on top of that we have all the gods, and then we have the minor gods, and the animal gods, and it's just very hard to, like, every path you go down just makes more and more questions, it feels like. Um, But it's interesting, I mean, it's cool, it's just hard to know what you should be, like, trying to figure out. Yeah. The other immortal thing that really got me in this book was when they explained how many Stormwings there are, and there were only 311 Stormwings. That blew my mind. I thought, like, in my head, there were so many more, but Stormwings are an endangered species. Also, 311. <laughs> Amber is the color of your energy. That's all. <laughs> Listen, I just got to that movie, man. <laughs> it's also a real song. <laughs> I only know yeah, there's not that many. Yeah, I was really surprised, and it made me feel bad about all the Stormwings that Dane's been killing. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Stormwings. Really decreasing the population. Also, um, Ozorn's braids were all disheveled, and I was like, somehow the chain of Stormwing hairstyling has broken down. Mm-hmm. Whatever theory we're going with, it's it's really gone downhill, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, whether it's... Um, well, did someone say small birds? We, we're, we're, talking about that ne- we're talking about that next week. Or, yeah, we're bringing bringing that up next week. But, yeah, poor Ozarn, except not because he's evil, but, you know, got no one to braid his hair, and you gotta feel bad for somebody in that situation. That's true, that's true. Got no hands. You you wanna look your best when you're trying to conquer the world. No hands. You okay? He has no hands. Some people don't. I don't know, I just keep trying to imagine him, like, doing things with his wings, but he's like, these are not hands. (laughs) Amy, can we do a quick check-in on who in this book you feel should be wearing clothes? Alright, so glad you asked. Okay, so I just found out that a lot of the gods are, like, only slightly bigger than the animal that they're gods of. So those ones, I feel like, are fine without clothes. Okay, good. What? I think picturing you, like, do you want, like, a Pooh Bear situation? They need to be wearing t-shirts to make you happy? Like, Well, okay, that would be adorable. A trendy crop top for the badger? Yeah, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, and, like... Just like Pooh? The duck mole has, like, a little pair of pants. No, he has, like, he has, like, a, like, an Outback hat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think Dane should be wearing clothes a lot more. Oh, I think that all of the hu- all of the humanoid immortals should be wearing clothes. Fun fact: Dane got an- another new power recently, which is that she can shift herself into wearing clothes. And then I when bet. she morphs smaller, she shifts out of her clothes. She has an infinite supply of clothing that she can generate. <gasps> oh yeah, you're right. Dane could put Curry Taylor out of business. <gasps> Finally, someone. <laughs> And she can stop taking advantage of all the labor of every seamstress Wait, in Tortal, but that which is what them, but that puts it would, them out of business. Well, just for her, yeah. she did ruin like everything anyone had ever lovingly made for her. Yeah. I like the idea of her only doing it when she ruins the clothes. <laughs> no, I just feel like if she only does it when she ruins the clothes, she's not disturbing the economy. Mm. She's just like taking better care of her of the things that she owns and showing that she appreciates the labor that goes into them. Mm-hmm. Right. She could generate a smock when she's going to be in like a bird or bat related situation. She can also generate clothes for Thea if they are the same size in clothing. Hmm. Mm. 
Good. Mm-hmm. All right, great. We just solved a lot of portal Perfect. problems. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, let's talk about very fast linguistics. Very fast linguistics. Taxonomy. Taxonomy. So duck moles. Why duck mole? I've never heard that before. Meant to look up if that was possibly a term. Um, all right, we're back from doing our research, and here's what we've learned. Uh, Amy? Um, okay, so platypus is actually, it, it means broadfoot, which Very is the pl- duck mole's name. This did not answer anything about d- why it's called a duck mole, but yeah. platypus means broadfoot. We also learned that um, pla- that bro- uh, that um, duck mole is a, an archaic term that just means platypus and is actually used in the real world which we did not know. Right. Or at least used to be. So it might have been contemporary for Tamara Pierce when she was writing we this book. We don't know. Not sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's impossible to know. It's not impossible. You can... <laughs> it, it's within the knowable world, but we've uh, already spent we've used time it for five minutes it, of so. Googling. Yeah. <laughs> um, more very fast linguistics? Very fast linguistics. Oh, man, that's only one letter away from my name. Um, yeah, so I had, uh, I noticed a thing, which is that there was, um, so it's about Dane's last name, which, uh, is, uh, Sarasri, which she's named after her mother. Uh, it's, um, and it's been said that her last name means Sarah's daughter or Sarah's child. I think it must be child. Mm -hmm. Um, because we got a lot of other last names in this book from people who lived in Gala. Dane is like, should I change my name now that I know who my last, who my dad is? She's like, well, uh, my name would be like Veraladane, like Werensra, which is a different, a different ending. It's a different ending. And that's, yeah. So that like, that would imply that it's, that the, the ending means that oh, it's, um, that it's coded so, to the gender of the parent. Unless... Unless. <laughs> Unless it has to do with the ending sounds of the name. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So what was the, what was the, uh, Sarah's, Sarah's last name again? Benextree? Benextree. Yeah. B-E-N-E-K. Okay. So that is a stop, uh, like a glottal mm-hmm. stop. And Sarah is just a vowel and it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't have anything added to it. I am interested in the fact that you add an S no matter what, because I assumed that that was just because her name ended in a vowel, but it's actually just all of them. But for wherein that ends in a yeah. nasal. Um, so it's, po- and so it's possible that that just like is an easier vowel to do, but the, the S interferes with that unless language, the historic, like the language historically changed to include the S for everything, but it kept the fact that it's an A after an N. That's what I think. Yeah, so it could be in a process of continuing change now where that vowel will eventually standardize across all names. It's true. Oh, uh, the other one is uh, in our Hadensra. So H-A-D-E-N-S-R-A. So does that fit yeah. with that pattern? It does, because that's also a nasal. Yeah, a nasal. It is. A. Nice. That makes, I mean, that makes some amount of sense to me that you would have a nasal and then a more like rounded vowel, open vowel. Um, yeah, because E is a high tense vowel. Um, so formed sort of in the high front of the mouth um and it's not rounded whereas ah 
Well, assuming that it's ah, not like ah or anything, but it would have to be ah, right? Uh, you're you not a linguist. Me, but if you, <laughs> even if you, you can tell if you say like Hayden Sra, if you were saying Hayden Sri, like that's a lot harder um, to say. So mm-hmm. it, I think it is, it makes sense as linguistic. It's like dissimilation to make it easier to come to the ending of the word, basically, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> This is super interesting to me just because, like, when I was reading the earlier books in this, I had assumed that the the suffix had an implication of the gender of the parent mm-hmm. um, because of how people would always be like, you know, Sarasri, like, which I, I mean, I also know that has, like, right. her mom's name in it. So yeah. clearly that's probably where they're right. getting that from. But, um, but, like, I assumed that the suffix had to do with that as well. So it's interesting to me that it doesn't. Well, it's possible that it doesn't, but I think that... It's possible that it but doesn't. But it doesn't, like, I do think that... And I do think it actually would be cool if it turns out that Dane does have this, like, matrilineal uh, history with, mm-hmm. uh, like, through the generations. Yeah. But I also right. am interested in the idea that just this once, Tamara Pierce was like, huh, let's think about phonetics and the way that they could evolve over time. <laughs> or at least, like, she said them out loud and realized, like, wait, that's really hard to say. <laughs> like, people might yeah. not say it. So one thing that I find really interesting about the Darkings is that in the beginning, when they tried to communicate with Dane, they were able to directly transmit images on their bodies. But after they each consumed (laughs) some of Dane's blood, which like, after the Darkings consumed Dane's magic blood that teaches animals to talk and teaches animals higher cognition, they also started talking. But the way that they started using speech with their mouths, which, by the way, that means that they transform themselves like human-ish-esque articulators, and they do that every time they talk, which is super neat. And how did they learn to do that? Like, how did they figure out what an inside of a mouth is? Yeah, Um, Yeah. how did they know that they would need, you know... All of them. A glottis. How do they know they need a glottis? Yeah. Don't, most humans do they have don't a nose? No, they need that. Do they have a what? Do they make them? Do they make themselves some kind of nasal passage? Oh, I hope. Well, they've got it because they can say all the nasal sounds. Yeah, like that's so cool. But they also talk only in present tense, which makes me think that they are like the way that they're learning makes it sound like they're learning from a different language yeah. and not from like learning human language specifically. Right. Um, yeah, because like with human language acquisition, you will start to try to like use the morphology of the language in a way that mimics the morphology of the language that you're the target language, but is like not quite right, but would be if languages were more standard. Right. Um, but they're just using present tense for everything, which means that they probably have a language that only has one tense. Yeah, and that would really make sense if you look at, like, oh man, the whole way that the Darkings work, because they show, their purpose is to show what's happening right now somewhere else. So that the mm-hmm. it makes sense that the way that they center their world isn't, doesn't have a sense of tenses and the way that they talk to each other probably doesn't need to have past tense as much um although this is yeah, also like, a, a dumb a little bit claim that people try and make yeah. where they're like oh this kind of person doesn't need to talk about the past or the f- doesn't need to talk about the future but that's not what but we're that's saying. not what we're saying what we're saying is that this yeah. fantasy creature <laughs> maybe would center their thinking around the present because their purpose is to show and- the present 
And also, like, the safer wharf hypothesis is not your, you structure your, like, your language lets you only see the present if you only speak in present tense. What safer wharf hypothesis says is the way that you structure language is related to the way that you structure thought. Like, that's all it means. So, for example, if there are, there are words where there are multiple words for different shades of blue, but if you don't have those multiple words, you can still tell that shades of blue are different. Right. Like, it's not saying that those people see more blue. It's just that they have different, more categories for what blue is. Right. And so, Darkings, the hypothesis would be if this is the way they see the world, uh, the language that they already have is probably structured around that way of talking about the world. And so then they're acquiring language our hypothesis is that they're acquiring language like humans acquire language, which is that first they fit the new language onto the structures of the language they already can use. Kind of to pull that together, hopefully. Fast bio, fast bio, fast bio time. Okay, two objections to the bio in this book. One, <laughs> platypus. So the platypus ate a frog, and I thought to myself, Kelly, do platypi eat frogs? Time to find out. So I went to my friend Google, and my friend Google <laughs> told me that platypi mostly eat invertebrates, so like shrimp and like like freshwater worms and stuff like that. And in this book, Tamara Pierce has the platypus mostly eating fish and frogs. So while they sometimes eat vertebrates, are you raising your hand? He also eats cheese. <laughs> he also eats cheese. So, but he went, you know, he's like a god and he's eating food at a table. But then he's also like going to forage in a natural habitat and he's eating a bunch of vertebrates. So, I don't think so. Tamara yeah. loves talking about animals who eat cheese. Cheese is delicious. Platypi <laughs> thinks so too. Probably they wouldn't in real life because that's pretty different from what they eat. I don't know. Anyway, they do second... nurse their young. That's true. But that's not cheese. <laughs> Like, do cows eat Good cheese? Wars. Would a cow eat cheese? Oh, God. <laughs> would a cow... Would they? Uh, listeners, weigh in. Would they eat cheese? God, please don't. <laughs> All right. I accidentally no. made... I accidentally gave Kelly a crisis. Again. Um, okay, the second one is, so, when... They're resting beside the Lake of Temptation, and Numer gets pulled in, and Dane goes after him and transforms herself into a sea lion. She thinks to herself right after doing that, Oops, I transformed myself into a saltwater animal in a freshwater lake. Oh well, as long as I don't eat and drink here, I should be fine. And I thought to myself, would that be a problem for a sea lion? Because I don't think so. Because the reason it would be a problem for an animal is if they like are altering the molarity of their body to somehow match the molarity of the water, so they're not like bloating themselves with water because they're less salty than the water, or like losing too much water. And sea lions don't have that problem as much because their, like, skin isn't as permeable as, like, fish and they're not intaking a lot of water. So I did more Googling and the internet tells me that, A, sea lions can spend a significant amount of time in freshwater bodies because they often, like, migrate up freshwater rivers to eat some salmon. B, sea lions and a lot of other, like, seals and marine mammals get a bunch of their water, most of their water, in fact, from fish that they eat so they don't have to deal with this problem of intaking a bunch of seawater and then filtering throughout the salt because salt is too much salt. And C, given a choice between freshwater and saltwater, many pinnipeds, which is seal sea lions at all, will take freshwater. So, Dane, I think that's not an issue. Great. <laughs> Rest my case. Um, slight, like a small, small counterpoint. Historically, Dane hasn't known what anything that's not a fish is. <laughs> like, Dane knows fish. 
And like she met a sea lion once. Actually, yeah, she hung out with sea lions for a while. Yeah, she hung out with them for a while. But they were ocean sea lions. So it's, but ocean sea lions, it's the ocean sea lions that travel up river to eat salmon. There aren't like freshwater sea lions. It's just ocean sea lions can spend long periods of time in freshwater. But like had, had those sea lions ever done that? If there are turtle and salmon, I bet they did because salmon are delicious. <laughs> Say sea lions. <laughs> oh, did you interview a sea lion? I interviewed one. They told me. What we're saying is that Dan should have interviewed a sea lion. It's <laughs> super yummy. Anyway, I was wondering, it seems like that's not actually an issue, at least for um, submarine mammals. Good to know. In particular, there's evidence that they're fine. So, so. listeners, next time you transform into a sea lion and you're in fresh water and you're like, oh no, am I going to be able to what did you say, transform the molarity of my body, then don't worry, not an issue. <laughs> don't I mean, to it. be fair, she was in a lake where, like, if she had inhaled that water, she would have been god poisoned. It's true. So there was actually, like, a secondary <laughs> issue. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> seems like a Kelly, bigger issue. What lions usually do with god poison? Um, well, I think when I googled it, it told me that they're immune. <laughs> they're really cute, so... Cool, good. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you for biofacts. Thank you for biofacts. Also, bio. some of these biofacts were from Scientific Americans. They were a little bit more legit than Wikipedia. <laughs> I have something for Social Justice Corner, and it is going to be a discussion of sexual assault. So if you, that is something that is difficult for you to hear about right now. We are going to put in a musical stinger of about 15 seconds and then another musical stinger when we are done. talk a little bit about Emperor Ozorn and the Tauros. Yeah. So the I want to set this up with the second chapter of the book where Emperor Ozorn is talking about Dane in terms of her sexuality specifically. Um, like, and what, as I read that, I had not read these books before and I just thought it fell into that trope of like wanting to talk about a, how a female character is beautiful through someone else's eyes and like just like wanting to villainize a male character in a position of power. But with the introduction mm-hmm. of the Tauros, uh, it is clearly sent by Emperor Ozorn and it is a clearly like, it is known for raping women. Like... That's what it does. And it was sent by this man who showed a sort of sexual-based contempt for Dane, both in that chapter and in the ending chapters where he refers to her as a, like, a person... I forget the exact terms, but he accuses her of, like, setting her legs for any man who comes by. Yes. Um, And I find that deeply unsettling, um, like, the whole situation. And... Another thing that I find unsettling about the Tauros is that it takes Dane being like to a god, maybe you should have made a female Tauros for the gods to want to stop the rape problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially when you pair that with later in the book, they talk about how like Stormwings are just predators and they can't help it. And then I feel like this is really echoes that 
by being like, it's just their nature. How would they do anything different? Uh, it's a really uncomfortable oh, yes. way to talk about sexual assault. Yeah. Yes, they and actually I believe verbatim said that it's just the Minotaur's nature and da- or the Taurus's nature. She says and, like the poor silly beast can't help it or something like that. And that is way too much the way that people talk about specifically men and men to like prey on and sexually assault women. Right. Like that's how they discuss it. And it's not a great thing to yeah. say in a book that is aimed towards like young children mm-hmm. and yeah. anyone that's true but like we're old enough to sit down and read it and be like oh that's messed up and wrong and a lot of people aren't and a lot of people will be like oh yeah you know what that like not uh, not overtly obviously but people will read that and internalize it and have that be like a thing that they think when these this kind of thing happens in real life right. and that's obviously negative right and especially for it to come from dane right after she escapes is really hard to read Mm -hmm. yeah i was particularly surprised by that this time i think this was i mean i've never liked because it's very unlikable the taurus scene in this book but this time in particular i just wondered like why tamar pierce would do this to us and would would a insert this scene and B, right afterwards, follow it up with, like, oh, the Taurus could not help it. Right. Yeah, and I really don't like how much so far, like, Alana, we had to be reminded that, like, to be an adult woman and to, like, be a sexual person is to be in danger of sexual assault. Like, those things, like, because this also happens as Tamara Pierce is establishing Dane as a person who can have sexual and romantic yeah. relationships. Right. Yeah, that's how I read this. This, like, uh, A, like, when I read this when I was younger, I always, like, felt like Osrin had, like, this weird fixation with her, like, romantic sexual fixation. And the way I read it this time with Osrin and the Taurus was that Tamara Pierce was just sort of doing all these things to set Dane up as a sexual character, like prime us for her relationship with Numera, whereas before she's been like very much treated like a child. And like this book, also her descriptions of like Numera and Dane become a lot more physical, and in my opinion, like a lot more sensual and like sexualized. And I thought that this was part of that, maybe. Right, and... Could be a reason. In a book, even a series, where even in... of author's oeuvre where sex does not occupy a very politically good position where it's already something that we don't feel comfortable with its positioning in the books for sex to enter Dane's narrative in such a violent way is just really really harmful to the way that I personally went forward reading the positioning of sex in the book because like and also, you could even say that a somewhat similar thing happens with Alana. Like, you know, people can start to consider themselves as sexual people or people who can interact with that without the first way that they encounter that being an attempted sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also, like, in both of these series, in the fourth book, as the after the character is established as someone who can take care of themselves and as someone who is powerful and, like able to just overcome a lot of things they are brought down and like put in danger specifically Mm -hmm. in a sexual way and like with alana it was the soldiers and with dane it's this tauros and it just really is very messed up and i understand like on the one hand 
I think that there is an argument to be made that like you want to talk about the fact that like this is like sexual assault happens and it happens to a lot of different kinds of people but this is a fiction book right yeah like regardless of where they are but like (laughs) neither of these are good examples of that first of all right and I do think like that's a really good way to frame it and I do think it is important to show that that can be something that you know occurs in anyone's life but another way to frame that same idea is that it's kind of saying that like as a woman or yeah as a woman no matter how powerful you are you'll never be able to conquer this like it's always going to be an aspect of your story and I don't think that that's like a a good envisioning of the world (laughs) and especially when you're as we've talked about a lot of times when you're writing fiction you should be really conscious of how you include things like that and I don't think that this is done very thoughtfully um especially when we start to see it as a reoccurring plot device that's like repeatedly not getting handled very well yeah, we'll complete Social Justice Corner in the next episode where we're just going to talk a whole bunch about Dana Numair. So Yeah, Social Justice Corner next episode is actually Dana Numair Scream Corner brought yeah. to you by Total Recall. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to that. Unprecedented so amounts of screams. yelling. <laughs> I, uh... In the forecast. We got some pretty fun listener mail. Um, what's our What's our policy on people who email us? Can I say first name? Is that okay? Yeah, I usually say first name. Perfect. We got an awesome email from a bio major responding with some um, hyena facts from Very Fast Biology. And I would just like to share some of these hyena facts from Krista because they are awesome. Um, the hyena facts are, ahem, number one, um, Krista also thinks that these are specific to spotted hyenas. So, their jaws are so strong that when they eat an animal, they eat all parts of that animal, including the bones. Metal. Number two. Um, building on your comment <laughs> that spotted hyenas hunt their own prey instead of scavenging, lions are actually more likely to scavenge from hyenas than hyenas are likely to scavenge from... Oh, that's a shocker. Yeah. They've really Controversial. been... Controversial. I feel like they've been uh, slandered by the lion lobby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some real propaganda out there. Yeah, I think the lion lobby just put together Lion King just to slander hyenas. <laughs> that was their big, big investment for that year. <laughs> really paid off. Um, fact number three. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe skip that one. Oh, oh, but I love it. Oh, but maybe, maybe we should skip it. Krista, mm-hmm. we're skipping your third fact, but I wanted to read we'll it. Record, we're going to record a Patreon bonus episode that's just this slightly, slightly anatom- we could anatomically just explicit it. fact. We could take a screenshot of this part of the email and tweet it. We'll tweet it. We'll tweet it because it's a really cool hyena fact, but we're worried about our about our PG ranking. <laughs> yeah, like on the, on, the one fa- on the one hand, it's like I, I, I want to like destigmatize like bodies right. and things like that. And on the other hand, 
especially hyena bodies. I know how much they're dealing <laughs> All with All hyena that. bodies are, are valid. Are good hyena bodies. <laughs> also, I feel like hyena heads is super cool because it, like, it, like, plays with, like, with the notion of, like, what, like, traditional genitals are. Like, hyenas are so cool that way. Traditional genitals. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. For any of our hyena listeners <laughs> that we care about you, <laughs> we believe that you should feel good about yourself. Yeah, go hyenas. Anyway, third hyena fact coming to you via Twitter, not via my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, Krista. Um, Thanks, then, Krista, for what, your letter. What was our next one? Oh, next one was Dormice. Do you want to read this? Yeah. Since you're next to me. Let's do Dormice. Okay. Uh, sorry, let me just find it real mm-hmm. quick. Ah, here we go. Okay, so this is from Phoenix Flight on Tumblr. Uh, So their letter says, uh, I really enjoyed your most recent episode. However, I will tell you that that ancient Romans ate dormice with honey, or at least someone once told me that. (laughs) So that explains some of the food mentioned. Thanks, Phoenix Flight. Thanks, Phoenix Flight. I actually also had heard that through the grapevine, but I was not on that episode. But I took Latin for four years and learned no Latin. (laughs) But that seems like if I learned that one fact in four years of Latin, I think I would have feel that my those four years were well spent. It was one of the only relevant Latin facts I learned. Otherwise, we mostly just watched Hercules. <laughs> cool. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> I need to watch Hercules now. <laughs> Again. Okay. I think that's it for listener mail this week. Yep. Um, thank you to everybody who Follows us on Twitter, Tumblr. You can find us those places where on Twitter at Tortle Recall, Twitter.com, <laughs> and Tumblr where Tortle Recall. Our website's www.tortlerecall.com, and our email is tortlerecall at gmail.com. Um, we are on iTunes, and if you have a moment and feel so inclined, we would love it if you would rate and review us there. We're um, also on Stitcher and Google Play. We are also on those places. And most places where your podcasts are given to you for free and not sold. Yes. Um, we have a Patreon. And Amy, would you like to say any more about that? We, ha- we have a Patreon. <laughs> um, so that's patreon.com slash Recall. Also, we hit what we already hit our first Patreon goal. And oh. that means that you guys are all get that means that you guys are getting a bonus episode. We recently did a poll among our patrons to decide which book what we're talking about. And we're going to be giving you a bonus episode on the Enchanted Forest Chronicles book one dealing with dragons by Patricia C. Reed. So <laughs> oh, God. Oh my god. Anyway, so if you want to know, so if you want to start reading that now, might be a good idea because you're going to want to get on in on this episode. We're all fighting to be on it. Yeah. Hop on the dragon bandwagon. Oh. Oh, the band dragon. Hop <laughs> <laughs> on the band dragon. Great. Now we have right? a great tagline for our our dealing with dragons podcast. So that's good. <laughs> um should we also say um, yeah. Thanks to everybody who has supported us on Patreon. If you've been thinking about it, but you haven't decided yet, and you want to listen to our voices more, some of our voices, some of the time, uh, there are already bonus episodes up on our Patreon, uh, and we will keep putting those out. 
Thank you all so much for supporting us, whether you do that by supporting us on Patreon, by talking about us on social media, or just listening to the show right now. Just the fact that any of you even listen to us is amazing and keep makes us want to keep making this and making this a great show. Definitely. Yes, thank you all so much. Um, and we'd like to thank our music, which is Green Sleeves by Zeta, and then give some shout outs to some people who tumbled us on Tumblr, um, and some patrons from Patreon. So from Tumblr this week... We have Phoenix Flight, Fairy Tale on Fire. Oh, gosh darn it. Jeanne the Poet. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jeanne the Poet. I have even asked you how to say your name and you have told me. <laughs> Nerd502, French is not my strong suit. Um, Squirrely Squirrel, awesome. The <laughs> Great Remember, Astrid Flies, Guilty Pleasure Threader, Sand Savvy, Forest of Stories, Princess Court 223, Cut to the Van... Oh, I did that bad. Cut the Vanju. Um, pretty Things Are Pretty, Aerophilly, and Hala. And patrons, um, as of June 8th, we would like to shout out to Joe, Abigail, Vague Dark Entity, Ethan, Lemons, Math, Emmy, Isabel, Catherine, Abigail L., Courtney, and Sophie. Thanks so much, everybody. <clears throat> also, if you are a patron and you weren't shouted out and you want to be shouted out, please comment on, a, there's a thread on our Patreon page. Just comment with the name that you want us to say and we will add it to the list. Thank you. Hello. Thanks. Um, who would like to sign us off for this week? Gus? I can do it. Yay. So brave. See ya, Tortellini. Yeah, but that's not our our primary band is Meowth. It's true.